There's no secret formula for better service throughout the customer journey. But there is the all-new service hub from HubSpot. It makes it infinitely easier to scale customer support and increase retention. By bringing service and support together in one powerful platform, you can deliver the best experiences for your customers and your teams. Free up time for your reps to focus on complex issues with an AI-powered help desk. Proactively drive retention with customer health scores that help keep your business ahead, stopping churn in its tracks. And give your entire go-to-market team the data they need to operate as one unified, powerful front. Also, you can easily support, strengthen, and grow your customer base. Secrets out. HubSpot Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Howdy, folks. It is Monday, October 31st. Happy Halloween. Have fun. Eat some sweets. Wear some costumes. I'm Jacob Cohen, and you are listening to The Hustle Daily Show. Today, we've got a Halloween special. Juliet's going to take a deep dive into the strange business history of the Ouija board. This is a story of how an entrepreneur merged spiritualism and capitalism to create a multi-million dollar brand, and you're going to have to pay close attention while listening. It's safe to say very few people on earth have any knowledge of this product's background at all, and the details run deep. But before we get to that, here's a look at a few headlines in tech and business. Let's get recollect. All right, first things first, the most talked about thing in tech over the weekend was Elon Musk and Twitter because he now owns Twitter and Twitter is uh, what happens to be the place where people go online to discuss these kinds of things. And he is wasting no time in making changes to the company and the platform. He fired its CEO and other top executives. Broader layoffs could begin as soon as tomorrow. Meanwhile, he's been apparently holed up in a sectioned off area of Twitter San Francisco headquarters. There are Teslas parked outside. There are new security guards manning the entrance. People from his family office and other social circles and and companies have been kind of added to Twitter's employee directory, given company emails and are all kind of making plans, figuring things out. One change to the platform's business model that could be made soon is charging $4.99 a month for verified users or the ones with blue check marks to keep their blue check marks. Folks, this week could very well be one of, if not the most interesting week in Twitter's history. We will see, though, how it plays out. Moving along, NASA released an internal impact review that found the agency's economic output in 2021 was over $71 billion, more than three times its $23 billion budget, and supported nearly 340,000 jobs nationwide. Not bad. Also, keep an eye on this app, Timu. In China, there's an e-commerce company, Pinduoduo, that has over 730 million customers, so twice as many customers in China than the U.S. has people. Anyway, in the U.S., its sibling, Timu, has rapidly climbed to the top spot on the app charts offering dirt cheap prices on Chinese products. So we'll see how popular this app becomes. Also, Amazon reportedly reduced the headcount of its team working on its relatively new live radio app, Amp, by 50%, around 150 people. There's a good chance you've never even heard of this app. And frankly, I'm 
Sure, there's a lot of people working at Amazon who have not even heard of this app. Basically, Amp lets creators host live radio talk shows with licensed music that you can add into the show. It's honestly a very cool concept, but it's unclear how smooth its initial launch and growth has gone. Also, Lego is discontinuing its Mindstorms code-enabled product line, first launched in 1998. However, the company recently acquired a company called BrainPop for around $875 million in an ed tech expansion bid. We're also looking at a new report from restaurant data platform Data Essential, which found that U.S. restaurants' weekly operating hours are down 7.5% on average or 6.4 hours per week compared to 2019. It feels like nothing is ever open past 8 p.m., and now I know it's because nothing is ever open past 8 p.m., so at least I know the truth. And lastly, as of last week, Taylor Swift's Midnight's album has seen over 486 million streams, the third most on record for a single week for an album. Midnight's also saw the highest selling single week sales for a vinyl album since 1991 with more than 515,000 records sold. And I have yet to listen to it, so I might go do that now. But before I do, I'm going to toss it over to Juliet. Cue the spooky music. So I recently went to Salem, Massachusetts. A lot of people know Salem is the site of America's most infamous witch trials, which took place in 1692. And nowadays, if you go to Salem, especially in October, you are bound to find dozens of witchcraft shops and ghost tours. They've kind of, I wouldn't say embraced that history, but they have turned their history into sort of an illuminating tourist experience where you can learn about it. And there's one place that I wandered into It was tucked in the back of a shop that sold wizard, like Harry Potter type ephemera. It's called the Salem Witchboard Museum. So when you walk in, the walls and glass cases of this little gallery are lined with what are called talking boards or witch boards. They're these boards with letters and numbers on them, and supposedly they allow you to talk to ghosts. Now, you might be thinking, that's a Ouija board. And that's true, but it turns out Ouija is a brand like Kleenex or Tupperware. The owner of the museum, John Kozik, told me, think of Coke and Pepsi. Coke is probably number one, Pepsi is probably number two, but there's no number two for the Ouija board. When Kozik points out other types of boards in his collection, guests to his museum often assume they won't work as well because they're not official, as though ghosts harbor some kind of brand name preference. What we're going to talk about is how, thanks to the combined forces of spiritualism and capitalism, Ouija became the go-to for communicating with the dead. So what is spiritualism? It's the belief that the living can communicate with the dead. And it was already popular in Europe when it really ignited across the United States in the mid-19th century. There were three sisters, known as the Fox Sisters of Hydesville, New York. The three sisters claimed that they had a spirit in their home that would knock on furniture, walls, tables, whatever. And they could interpret the messages that the spirit was giving to them by counting the number of knocks. Now, for people without knocking spirits, there were other communication devices, and one of which was the talking board. There are different kinds of talking boards. Some had an automatic writing device where there was like a little table with wheels and a pencil, and then you would put your hands on the board and the spirit would channel through you and move your hands to to write or spell something, albeit sloppily. But the talking board was kind of an evolution of that, and it was something you could make yourself. In fact, there's an 1886 article describing how it had become all the rage in Ohio, and it was very easy to construct. 
You just needed a flat board. You needed to put letters and numbers on it. And then you needed something called a planchette, which is French for little plank. And that would allow you to put your hands on it. And then as the spirit willed, move the planchette through you to point to the letters that it wanted you to interpret. Now, among these early talking board enthusiasts was this guy named Charles Kennard. He was a fertilizer entrepreneur in Chestertown, Maryland. He was not so much looking for answers from the great beyond so much as he really wanted to make a lot of money. We spoke with Robert Murch, who's the definitive authority on talking boards. He's been researching them since 1992. He frequently consults on Ouija-related projects, and he's the president of the Talking Board Historical Society. Remember John Kozik from the museum? He's the treasurer. In fact, they met due to their love of Ouija boards and talking boards. So Robert Murch told us that Charles Kennard was one of those guys who's always into like seven to 10 businesses. He's always looking for some cool opportunity. So he hears about the talking board and he's like, yes, that's cool. He ended up partnering with this undertaker and woodworker named E.C. Reich. This was a guy who made a lot of different things. He was always inventing something. And together they made a dozen or so boards. Kennard wanted to go into business. Reich was kind of like, eh, I don't know. People can make these themselves. And I don't get why we would do that. But Kennard, he saw the potential in it and he didn't let the idea go. After his fertilizer business dried up due to competition, he ended up relocating to Baltimore in 1889, and there he met a patent attorney named Elijah Bond. Elijah Bond was into Kennard's idea, and it didn't hurt that Bond's sister-in-law, Helen Peters, was a medium. That's someone who claims that they can communicate with the dead. In letters that Merch uncovered, Kennard wrote of a seance that Peters held in April of 1890, during which the group asked the board what it wanted to be called. It spelled back O-U-I-J-A, Ouija, and then told the group that it meant good luck. Now... We don't really know where that word came from, but Merch does speculate it may have been a misspelling of Ouida, which is the pen name of a writer that Peters really admired. But whatever the case, that name stuck. When Kennard incorporated the Kennard Novelty Company on October 30th of 1890 with a couple of other investors, the goal was to sell the talking board known as the Ouija board. Elijah Bond's role was to trademark the word Ouija and patent the board. According to Merch's research, the patent office had rejected similar devices because creators couldn't prove that they were actually summoning ghosts to talk to them. So Bond decided he would prove it, and he brought Helen Peters with him. Now, according to legend, and you can make of this what you will, they ended up going to the chief clerk's office. And he walks in and he says, I don't know you, you don't know me, but if that contraption can spell my name, you've got yourself a patent. So Peters and Bond, they sat at the board, and it revealed the guy's name letter by letter. The clerk supposedly was very shaken, gave Bond his patent, and Kennard used this as a tagline for the Ouija board and advertisements proven at the patent office. Now, did a ghost tell them the name or did maybe Elijah Bond already know it because he was a patent attorney? I don't know. You decide. By 1892, Ouija was really popular. The Kennard Novelty Company built additional factories in New York, London, and Chicago. The boards were selling for about a buck. That's $33 today. Kind of a bargain for a metaphysical message. The company's leadership, however, had a lot of turmoil. Reich, who you may remember as the woodworker who initially made the boards with Kennard, he showed up and was like, hey, uh, can I get a cut of these profits? And Merch speculates that left a bad taste in people's mouths about Kennard and the way he did business. Kennard and another investor cashed out in 1892. Bond tried to run the UK factory, turned out to be terrible at business. He left the company. Without Kennard, one of the original investors, Colonel Washington Bowie, renamed the company the Ouija Novelty Company, and he brought on his friend William Fold, who was actually a varnisher at the company to manufacture the boards with his brother Isaac. The brothers did that until 1901, and for reasons unknown, we just signed an exclusive agreement with William Fold, caused a huge fallout with his brother Isaac that lasted apparently for decades until Robert Murch was actually able to reconnect the two sides of the family and get them talking, which uh, frankly is a great story. But back to William Fold. In 1918, he builds this three-story factory in Baltimore. It cost him about $100,000. That's $1.9 million today, purportedly because the Ouija board told him to prepare for big business. 
And it's true, the Ouija board was everywhere. It was a popular dating game among couples who would place the board on their laps, their knees touching, their hands touching. Uh, It appeared on a cover of the 1920 edition of the Saturday Evening Post. The piece was done by Norman Rockwell. There were songs about it. There were articles and newspaper clippings that we found where people were having bachelorette parties and using it to guess who would get married next and to whom. So everybody was doing it. It was lots of fun. And it inspired a lot of competition. This included Kennard, Bond, and Isaac Fold, the ousted brother, who all tried to cash in on the trend. But they were all either vanquished with lawsuits or because the board just didn't catch on. There were other people who tried to manufacture cheaper boards, but William Fold actually undercut them by offering a discount product called a mystifying oracle. Unfortunately for William Fold, the factory that Ouija supposedly told him to build was also the death of him. In 1927, he fell off the roof while supervising a flagpole installation, and a broken rib punctured his heart. On his deathbed, he asked his children to never sell the Ouija board to another company, which they did for many years. But unfortunately, when they ran out of heirs who wanted to run it in 1966, they decided to sell it to Parker Brothers. You probably know Parker Brothers from your youth. I'm sure you've all played a game of Monopoly. Parker Brothers was actually founded in 1883 by George Parker, who was just 16 years old when he invented his first game. And by 1966, it was a flourishing company headquartered where? In Salem, Massachusetts, just like the museum. They had games like Risk, Sorry, and Clue. Parker Brothers, as it turned out, paid a staggering amount for Ouija about $975,000 or about $8.9 million today. The most expensive acquisition the company had ever made at that point. They had paid just $500 or about $11,000 today for Monopoly in 1935. But Barton said that he thought he made his money back on the board in just two years. Apparently, Ouija was selling about 400,000 boards a year when Parker Brothers acquired the patent, but had so many back orders that Parker Brothers wasn't sure that it could keep up. And then in 1967, so that's the year after they acquired Ouija, Parker Brothers sold 2 million boards, outselling every single other one of their 134 games, including Monopoly. Despite that, Parker Brothers actually lacked the finances to keep pace with the booming gaming business. So in late 67, they sold the company to General Mills. General Mills had already bought Play-Doh Maker, Rainbow Crafts, and the Easy Bake Oven Maker, Kenner. They merged Parker Brothers with Kenner. Tonka acquired Kenner Parker in 1987 in a deal worth $627 million. That's about $1.6 billion today. And then sold to Hasbro for $560 million. That's $1.1 billion in 1991. To this day, Hasbro retains the Ouija patent and trademark and occasionally licenses it out to other companies. And that's where you'll see it when you're not seeing it on the Hasbro website or as manufactured by Hasbro. So a couple examples. Winning Moves makes a classic version that harkens back to the 80s and 90s. So that's probably the style of the board that you would remember from your teenage slumber parties if you are of a certain age. There's another company called BioWord Merch. They manufacture blankets and other licensed apparel. And if you go to Spirit Halloween, you are bound to see some Ouija-themed merchandise, including party decor, mugs, candles, and this little serving tray. If you need a Ouija serving tray in your life, they've got you covered. Hasbro also produced a couple of movies, Ouija and Ouija 2, Origin of Evil, both commercially successful. The first film took in a global box office of $103.6 million against a budget of only $5 to $8 million. It had terrible reviews. The next movie, Ouija, Origin of Evil, had better reviews and took in $81 million. So you may be asking yourself, in the beginning, Ouija actually seemed like a lot of fun. You know, it was a dating game. Everyone's doing it. How did it get to the point where if you, like my mother, were not allowed to have one in the house because it was so scary? Well, That kind of dates back to The Exorcist, which came out in 1973. If you recall, Reagan McNeil, played by Linda Blair, tells her mother that she's found a Ouija board in the house that they're renting, and she's been using it to talk to a spirit named Captain Howdy. Of course, shortly after that, Reagan is possessed by a demon. Now, that did not actually impact Ouija board sales. It actually went up 15% that year. But all of a sudden, now it's like this dare game. It's like a spooky thing that's happening. And 
To be fair, sinister stories about the Ouija board weren't unheard of before. You can find in newspaper archives all sorts of stories where people did really wacky things because they thought the Ouija board told them to. In 1930, a New York woman convinced her friend to murder a romantic rival, claiming that a spirit had ordered it through a Ouija board. But the exorcist contained a scene that insinuated that something bad would happen to you if you use the board alone. That is what Robert Murch and John Kozak call a Ouija-stition, this idea about the Ouija board that sort of evolves over time, usually through pop culture or media or urban legends. And you can find that don't use the Ouija board alone thing in other movies. In fact, in Kevin Tenney's Witchboard, which came out in 1986, and is the movie that Robert Murch saw when he was younger that began his infatuation with talking boards, stars Tawny Katane, who you may remember from several Whitesnake videos, and she uses the board alone by herself. And all of a sudden, you know, she's got this really bad spirit that's getting into her life and possessing her and causing all sorts of mayhem. You'll also see that in both of the Ouija movies, that you can't use the board alone. Also in the Ouija movies... You will be told that if you look through the hole in the planchette, you will be able to see the ghost that you are talking to. Well, the hole wasn't always there. That was something William Vold decided to add to the board. And that is not a piece of lore that exists outside of those movies. But nowadays, John Kozik was saying that when people come to the museum, they will say, hey, can't you see the ghost if you look through the hole? Nope, that is just from that movie. And that is another Ouija session. These Ouija sessions, they have affected the way people perceive the Ouija board over time. In 2008, when Hasbro released a pink Ouija board marketed to girls sold exclusively at Toys R Us, some people called for a boycott on Toys R Us, accusing the manufacturer of trying to introduce the occult and demons to young children. Now, Hasbro, it also made a pink monopoly as well. It made a number of pink games targeted towards young girls. Kozik, who actually has the pink Ouija board in his museum, has a question for you to ponder. What is more evil, chatting with ghosts or manipulating and bankrupting all of your friends. In fact, some people are so afraid of the Ouija board that they will send boards to the museum to take care of, believing that they are not allowed to burn them or that if they throw them away, it'll come back somehow. Kozik has a number of those boards, one of which apparently came packed in several pounds of salt. Now, after all this, you may be wondering, does the Ouija board work? Well, remember the Fox sisters? We talked about them earlier with their knocking ghosts. In 1888, one admitted that it had all been a hoax, and then she changed her mind and said that it was actually real. But people still believed in spiritualism, with or without her. And to this day, there are many who still believe that the Ouija board allows us to pierce the veil and seek advice from whatever lies beyond. And then there are people who are so afraid of summoning a demon or opening a portal to hell that they refuse to be near one or have one in their home. If you're looking for a more scientific explanation, there's the ideometer effect, which is essentially small movements that we make without intending to or realizing we're making them. That could explain how Peters was able to conjure a name similar to a writer that she loved. Maybe it explains how Bond was able to spell out the name of a patent employee that he may have already known. Whatever the case, it turns out that Ouija was a pretty big business that's been successful for decades. As to whether or not you can use it to talk to ghosts, we'll let you decide. Happy Halloween! And bada bing, bada boom, that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in to The Hustle Daily Show. We're a proud part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. Our editors today are Robert Hartwig and Ezra Truppiano. Our executive producer is Darren Clark. We've got a lot more tech and business coverage in our newsletter. If you're not subscribed, go get yourself signed up at thehustle.co slash email. Have a happy Halloween. Stay safe out there. Have a marvelous Monday. And we'll see you tomorrow.